Well, you know, every, uh, every mom of toddlers has her fears. Every mom. Uh, they fear grocery store temper tantrums. Some of you have been there. Moms of toddlers fear permanent markers. They fear scissors. Because you just never know what a toddler is going to do with scissors, right? Are they going to run with them? Are they going to, you know, they're going to uh, cut the hair of the family pet? Going to cut her own hair? Is this what the toddler is going to do? You just don't know what scissors, scissors are a bad thing uh, for toddlers. And moms fear that kind of thing. I read this past week about a mom of a toddler in the Salt Lake City area who now fears paper shredders. Uh, you could probably guess where this is going, but she and her husband noticed an important envelope containing $1,060 had mysteriously disappeared. Kept it in their office where they paid all their bills and everything. And uh, so uh, dad and mom go on a you know, tear the house apart kind of search for the cash. They looked under the rugs, in the drawers, in the couch, in the garbage. And finally, as mom was in one room, dad was in the other Mom shouts from the other room in the house as she was going through the trash. I found it, she said. It's in the shredder. A thousand dollars and a thousand tiny pieces. Mom told a, a local a Salt Lake City a news station that she immediately knew her two-year-old son, who's almost three, Leo was the culprit. He'd been helping her shred papers and various other advertisements and stuff the day before. She thought to herself, he thought he was being helpful, but this is, you know, what we got for that. So Leo no longer has access to the paper shredder. <laughs> and uh, after getting over the initial shock, I thought that mom and dad's conclusion of the matter was pretty sweet. Just listen. She says, this is going to make a great wedding story one day. And it will, you know. I do weddings, and so that'll be really nice. I thought that's a hope-filled way to look at losing $1,060, wouldn't you say? There are other ways to look at it, and what comes natural to you, what comes natural to me, is to view life not from a hope-filled way, but from sort of a negative vantage point. One of the great challenges of life is learning to process our losses, our fears, our hardships, from a hope-filled perspective. And it's my hope that as we dive into this series today, it's going to be a short series really, but i got a whole lot of more of these kind of messages coming later in the year. But it's my hope that this series will help us to start making some progress in, you know, just fresh progress in living in a hope-filled kind of way. One of the keys to experiencing a more hope-filled kind of life is defeating fear. Because if you think about it, what does fear do to us? Fear undermines hope, Right? And some of us, it's extinguished it. Some of us, it just robs us of the joy that comes with hope. But it, it, it's a threat to our joy, to our hope. And what we're going to talk about this morning is how do we undermine fear and strengthen hope? Because that's a key thing. And if we're going to succeed at that, the secret to really undermining fear and encouraging and strengthening hope in us, the secret is having a close and intimate relationship with God. The very thing that many in our culture are not looking for is the very thing that is the key to strengthening hope in your heart and in my life. You know, it's not enough to know about God. You see, this is, this is part of the problem. Our culture knows about God. I, 
you, you've got to know him. You've got to have an intimate, close relationship with him. Let me illustrate it this way. I know about Patrick Mahomes. He's the quarterback, the MVP quarterback, NFL uh, uh, Super Bowl MVP quarterback. I mean, he's amazing. I mean, he's the guy who can look this way and pass that way, you know, at, high, at full speed. You know, he, he can throw from all kinds of odd positions. He can run. I mean, he is, a, he is a threat on every level if you're a defense and he's the offense. But here's the thing. Patrick Mahomes and I don't hang out for the holidays, you know. I don't text him. He doesn't text me. I'm not, I, you, know, we don't, uh, you know, we don't get together, you know, on a, on a Friday night to talk about the big game on the weekend. You know, I don't, uh, you know, this is, I, I know about Patrick Holmes. I know quite a bit about Patrick Holmes, but I don't know Patrick Holmes. Many of us are the very same way with God. We know a lot about God. But we're not on first name basis. We're not texting, you know, not interacting in a routine basis with him. We're not hanging out with him on the holidays. Or actually, in our case, we're hanging out only on the holidays sometimes. If we're going to defeat fear, if we're going to grow a hope-filled life, we've got to have a close and intimate relationship with God. And so for the next few minutes, I want to highlight for you several of the blessings that come into the lives of those who have a close and intimate relationship with God. And I want to go this route with this because... Here's the thing. I get begin by just telling you, well, here's how you, here's how you get to know God. But here's, what you, here's the problem. Many of us know how to get to know God. The problem is, is that we let everything else crowd into our lives because we don't fully appreciate all of the blessings that come into my life when I'm in a close and intimate relationship. We, we forget those things. And so I want to begin this morning by highlighting for you several of the blessings that come into the lives of those who have a close and intimate relationship with God. And then towards the end, we'll spend a few minutes talking about some steps to knowing Him in a more intimate, personal level. The blessings that come with Him are described in a lot of places in the Bible, but today we're going to look together at the 23rd Psalm. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open it up. If you don't have one, grab one on the shelf in the, the chair in front of you there. Open it up to Psalm 23. We're going to see in those verses what hope-filled living looks like. And I just have to tell you right out of the chutes that uh, we, my small group and I worked on this this past week. We, uh, in our small group time, we, we spent some time just working through this just for entertainment's sake. I'm teaching them all how to preach. They don't know that yet. <laughs> but they're all learning how to write sermons, and they just didn't even know it. So anyway, this is what we did this past week, and, this, and so it'll be up to them. They listen on a whole different level uh, because of that, but you know, you'll have to see what I changed that we talked about this morning. But anyway, what, that we talk about. We're going to see uh, from these verses what hope-filled living looks like as you're turning to those verses, Psalm 23. Most of you are familiar with the psalm, whether you know it or not, uh, it, it reflexively. It was written by King David, who began his life as an unknown sheep herder. He was the youngest of ten children. In his mid-teen years, this is what many of you know him for, in his mid-teen years, against all odds, he defeated the Philistine military champion and giant Goliath. It's, it's an amazing story. If you've not read it, you need to read that. Just Google Goliath and David, or David and Goliath, and you'll, uh, you'll, you'll be fascinated with with uh, the story as you read the Bible's uh, rendition of that, what took place. The Bible speaks of David as a, a man after God's own heart. This was sort of God's commentary of him. 
I mean, think about that. Does that speak to the intimacy, the closeness that he had with God? When you like that to be on your tombstone, not something that you wrote, but God wrote for you. A man after God's heart, a, a woman after God's own home. If you read the book of Psalms, many of the, many of the Psalms in that book are written prayers and prophecies. Uh, uh, they're statements of faith and belief made by David. It's fascinating that the book is. And Psalm 23 is one of the most famous ones. And as we read this Psalm together, I want you to listen carefully as David tells us the blessings that had come into his life because of his close and intimate relationship with God. And here's what I want you to understand. The blessings that have come into his life are meant to come into your life. Every one of them. Every single one of them. So Psalm 23 says this, and David writes these words, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Can't even begin to imagine how many, how many teachers have taught on this passage, how many sermons have been preached. This morning what I want to draw out of it, I'm point to draw your attention to, is that there are at least six blessings that show up in these verses that King David believes came into his life because he had a close and intimate relationship with God. And there's six blessings that will come into your life too if you will develop a close and intimate relationship with God. And let me just say, I choose the word develop intentionally. Because just as you don't develop a close, just, you don't have a close relationship to somebody you meet at Price Chopper because you're in proximity to them in line, you, you, know, you don't know them well, uh, you, you don't, you don't develop a close and intimate relationship with God just because you show up at church where the scriptures promise that where two or more are gathered, he is there in their midst. It just doesn't work that way. You have to cultivate the relationship. But here's the truth. If you and I will cultivate it, uh, we'll not only grow in hope, we'll defeat fear and strengthen our spirits and we will become different, better people because of it. So let me quickly highlight these blessings, walk you through them, and then we'll talk about a few steps to, to just drawing closer to him and some, uh, on the back end of this. Let me quickly highlight the blessings. Blessing number one, if you and I develop a close and intimate relationship with God, the first thing that's going to happen is you're, you're going to begin to experience more of God's, blessing, God's provision in your life. The first blessing is God's provision according to what David says. Look at verse 1, Psalm 23. The Lord, Read it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Say it one more time with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I have a picture that I want to put up on the screen that illustrate what David's saying. Let me just see. So uh, tell, me, tell me what you see. Where are we here in this picture? This is Walmart. Now let, let me just give you a clue. It's not Black Friday. You can tell that. But it is Walmart. And uh, you know, I just want you to think with me. Is there anything you can't get at Walmart? 
I mean, really. I mean, there's milk, bread, laundry detergent, file folders, computers, cell phones, gift cards, grills, flowers, medicine, eyeglasses. Some of them you can even get gasoline. I mean, there's, it's just, Walmart's got everything. Uh, now, someone will say, you can't get a car, can't get a house, you know, because there's always that guy, <laughs> always that guy. Uh, but here's what I'd say. You're right, not yet. Not yet, you can't do that. But somebody from Walmart may be listening right now and the day may come where they're selling cars, right? And houses, they just aren't into it yet. And here's the rest of it. You can get a bike and a tent, what you really need, if you live in Southern California. That's it, but anyway, that's a whole other subject. Here's my point. That's sort of what God is, what David is saying about God. He's sort of saying that, you know, when the Lord is my shepherd, it's like all the things I really need are taken care of. I don't spend all my time going here and there and everywhere and trying to jury rig things in my head. I, I have one place that I need to go when I need something. You and I can, I mean, Walmart has become famous, has become wealthy because there's one place you can go. Where's your one place? Where's your one place? The first blessing when you draw into an intimate, close relationship with God, when you cultivate that, is that you're going to begin to experience God's provision in a fresh and new way. Second blessing that's going to come your way, according to what Dave is saying, his experience that will become our experience if we follow in his footsteps, is that you'll begin to experience God's rest. God's rest in fresh ways. Psalm 23, verse 2 says this. Read it out loud with me. He lets me rest in green meadows. Let me illustrate what David is saying with this. I've got a little, uh, I have with me this morning, Lori's Mother's Day gift. She graciously loaned it to me. And uh, this is, uh, it's because we're getting older. And you want to rock, that's what this is about. But uh, so, you know, like you can rock in your living room if you have a rocker, but in this case, you can rock at the camper if you're uh, camping is what you can do, but... You know, when you sit in one of these things, what do you want to do naturally? Initially, you just kind of rock. And then uh, you think about that. Who do we rock? Babies. It's babies. So like you're rocking yourself. You're, you're like treating yourself like a little baby here. Just rocking is what you're doing. And before long, you know, you start stretching because it just feels good. And, and if I sat here long enough, let me make a promise to you. This is a prophetic moment here. I could go to sleep in my own sermon. Because I have to tell you, this is pretty comfortable, which is why we bought it. It's, a, it's something good to sit in, to relax. And here, here's the point. Some of us, when we think of God, we think that God is the one saying to us, produce, 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 produce. We think he's the one saying, you need to hurry, you need to get there, you need to do this, you need to do that. You get, you're going to miss this opportunity, jump on it, seize it. And, and we have this idea of God like he's a slave driver. What I want to remind you of and what David's trying to remind us of as we look at the scriptures this morning is God was the one who created everything and he created six days for work and a seventh day for what? He was the one who came up with that idea, not you, not me. In fact, he spent most of his time throughout Israel's history getting after them because they ignored the seventh day of rest. They just made it a day of work like everybody else. 
his own people did. Here's, uh, here's the point. We forget that God has rest for you in mind. He doesn't want you anxious and bound up and distracted and racing and unproductive in, other, in ways that really matter, matters of the heart because you're so busy being productive in other ways that are temporal and 70 years from now will not matter a hill of beans. That's why I like the, the King James, the New King James version of this verse. Psalm 23 verse 2 says this, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The Hebrew can be translated both ways, but I, I, I like this because for some of us, who are perfectionists, it's like, you know, we need God to let us sometimes. And then there are other times, which is the way the New Living says it. Some of us, we just need God to make us. And he's, he'll do it. He would prefer to just let you. But one way or the other, you need to experience God's rest. And that is something that comes with a close and intimate relationship with Him. And maybe this morning, our good God is reminding some of us our need to rest. Third blessing that comes to those who walk closely and intimately with God and cultivate that kind of a relationship with Him is God's guidance that, that becomes their inheritance, the blessing that He brings into their lives. Verse 2 and 3, the latter part of verse 2 of Psalm 23 says this, He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to His name. I have something here to kind of illustrate, I think, what David has in mind a little bit. We all know what uh, a GPS will do, right? Well, I should say we all know what a Garmin GPS will do. Garmin's local. So uh, we all know what a Garmin GPS will do, right? I mean, it, it will guide us in the direction of some destination that we want to go to. What happens if I, like, decide I'm going to veer off the prescribed path? Does, does the... Does the Garmin GPS, does the little lady in my GPS begin to insult me? Does she begin to tell me, you know, uh, what an idiot I am and to, to just, you know, lambast me because I'm veering off what she believes is the best path? Is that, is, is that how it works? What's the answer? Stupid question. Of course, that's not what happens, right? What happens is she starts recalculating how to get me back on the right path. God does the exact same thing to those who are close to Him. When you're close to Him, when you're in an intimate relationship with, with He doesn't have to whack you with things because He knows that He has your ear already. And so He just routinely begins to recalculate what you need to do to get back on the right path when you and I veer off of the right path. We have God's guidance. And in fact, if we'll pay attention on the front end, we don't have to wander off the path ever. Now the reality is, guess what? All of us like sheep have wandered off on our own way, Scripture tells us. So there's plenty of times you're going to wander off even if you're trying to walk close with God. But the fact is, God can help you get back on the path with a minimum of wax. If you'll listen, 
if you'll let him guide you. And it's all about a close relationship with him. There's a fourth blessing that God brings into the life of those who are close to him, that develop a relationship of intimacy, and that's God's presence and protection. That's the fourth blessing. Look at Psalm 23, verse 4. Just read this out loud with me, if you would. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Some of us, we read this, and we know the old King James, and it's almost like we can't read it almost because we have the old King James in our head. And basically how that goes is, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, is, is the language. It can be translated both ways. Uh, I will fear no evil, for you are... Your, uh, your, that was weak, just like I was doing here. Uh, for your rod and your staff, they, they uh, comfort me. It doesn't say protect, it just says comfort. But it's all, it's all there in the Hebrew. Uh, here's the point. The verses um, sort of prompt me to think of my hiking stick, which is why I have this up here. I don't carry a wimpy pansy hiking stick. This is a hiking stick. You hear what it does to the platform when I bang on it? Uh, this is a hiking stick uh, from, you know, and this is about, it's pushing 30 years old actually because we got it in the Tetons years and years ago on a hike and uh, have just kept it and kept it, kind of trimmed it and made it functional. It's not pretty, but it's functional. Uh, part of why I have this up here is because uh, we, most of you know we have a dog. We have a yellow lab, Sam, who sadly is getting older, and we don't do this very often anymore. But we, uh, we like to take him on hikes, you know, kind of walks around our neighborhood is what we do. Because with labs and happy dogs like that, you must take them on walks because they're happy. And if you don't take them on walks, you won't be happy is what that translates to. So you take them on walks so that everybody's happy. And when you walk through our neighborhood, most of our dogs at this juncture, I mean, at this point, they have these uh, invisible electronic fences, you know, but it looks like they roam free. And after you've walked around our neighborhood enough times, you realize that there on occasion, uh, the electric fence throws a breaker and suddenly the dog, the fence is now gone or the battery in the dog's collar wears out and that does happen periodically and you can be walking along minding your own business and before you know it, you got a dog like right on top of you and most of the dogs in our neighborhood, that's no big deal. There are a couple who shall we say are delinquent <laughs> and need remedial training and you know something. They need to be put away somewhere because they're just not, uh, you just don't. So, what's the solution? I walk with my stick, and when Sam sees that I go get my stick, you know what Sam thinks? He starts jumping around because we're going for a walk. And this stick makes it possible for Sam to walk through our neighborhood and for Lori and me and anybody else with us without fear. Now, this is a threat to any of the dogs that come our way. Why is it a threat? Because unlike PETA, I would use it. Okay? I would use this stick. And that dog would wish that he would never, or she, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I do not distinguish between genders. <laughs> Equality in dog gender here, okay? I, I will use this on a, on a dog if it came at me. And, you know, I can, you know, initially one way, but eventually I could be more aggressive. But... Is Sam threatened by me being aggressive with a stick towards some other animal? 
No, no. It's a, it's a comfort. It brings security and peace. And Lori's not threatened by that either, other than the fact that I'm telling you all these things and not knowing <laughs> what will be done with what I just said. But anyway, that's uh, the, the point is, when Scripture says... You know, your rod and your staff protect and come. This is what David is trying to convey. He's trying to convey that, that God's presence brings protection and comfort into the life of anybody who he's in a close and intimate relationship. He, he is your defender. He is the one who looks out for you. It's a blessing available to those who walk in close proximity to him. Fifth blessing that God brings into the life of those close to him. Is God's justice. Look at verse 5. Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare, read it out loud with me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. You know, you and I would not, in our natural state, I mean, we would not normally think to invite our enemies, shall we say, to watch us eat. We don't invite them to dinner in our culture, do we? In fact, our way of thinking, the presence of our enemies would spoil dinner, right? This is how, this is how our culture uh, thinks. But in ancient times, when kings would defeat and conquer another nation, it was not uncommon for them to humiliate their enemies by forcing them to attend and watch as the new king and his new leadership feasted and dined right in their hometown, often right in their palace, in luxury and opulence. And you, the old king, the deposed one, had zero, nada. You watched as they feasted on everything that was once yours. Now, what's going on in that kind of thing? It's just a physical proof that a shift in the balance of power and justice has taken place, whether you like it or not. If you're walking in a close and intimate relationship with God, do you know what David is trying to say here? David is saying that a decisive shift in the balance of power and justice in your life is coming. He's saying it's coming may not have been fully realized in your life yet, but it is, in the, it is in the works. It's on the way. Just as his enemies, David's enemies, were humiliated and defeated, yours will be too because God is just, because God is good, because God can do today the same thing he did back then. He's saying stay close because the day is coming when a feast is going to be prepared in the presence of your enemies and all of them are going to know that you were the chosen one. Not them. That's very important for us. Very important for us to understand that good is going to be rewarded. The people can say that right is wrong and wrong is right all day long, but the day is coming. It's, it, it's been set in God's calendar that day when we will be feasting in the presence of our enemies. Because we have listened and walked closely with him. And all of them who right now think of themselves as very important will step back and go, we made a big mistake. But it'll be too late to do anything about it. God's justice 
is a blessing that he brings into the lives of those who walk in close intimacy and proximity to him. Sixth blessing, the last one I'm going to highlight this morning. We could break these down different ways, but the sixth one I'm going to highlight is God's promise. This is the the last blessing that I'm going to highlight. Verse 6 says it this way, and just follow along. uh, You can just read it with me. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. When I saw this picture as I was kind of working on this message, it just uh, felt like it just captured so much of the spirit of this verse. And I want you to look at the picture and think of it this way. Just keep looking at the picture and think of it. At the end of the day, a close and intimate relationship with God is much like a carefree, playful child exploring God's world with his faithful and loving companion in hot pursuit. And that's not going to be just for a lifetime. It's going to be like that forever. And forever is a long time. The key is that you and I have got to draw close to God even as He's pursuing us. We've got to draw close to Him. And when we do, uh, we'll find that He'll draw close to us as the promise of Scripture. If you want to live a hope-filled life with less fear robbing you of joy in your future, draw near to God. There is nothing more important in your life. There is no objective, no ambition, no pursuit in your life that is more important than this. You were made for this. God put Adam and Eve in the garden for this. He put you on this earth for this. You may think right now, I have other reasons for being here. I need to do X, Y, and Z things. And the truth of the matter is, if you draw near to God, he will counsel you on how to address X, Y, and Z things in a way that will help to assure that you get some rest, the provision you need, the guidance you need, the presence of of his spirit and the protection, the, the justice that he'll reassure you of that. He'll give you some of that now and you'll have the promise of some later and And you'll only have to go to one source, which greatly simplifies life. And friends, it's not enough to just know that God can do all of these things. It's about cultivating the kind of relationship with him that assures that that's what happens in your life, becomes your experience. So for the next couple of minutes, I just want to highlight a couple of biblical steps that just are a part of establishing and cultivating that life. We've got to confess Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. We've got to demonstrate the sincerity of our confession through baptism as the Bible teaches. I mean, this is, honestly, it's the beginning point. Just acknowledging that He's God and I'm not. It's the surrender of your body. In the waters of baptism, as you go under the water, you're dying to self and you come out of the water and it's new life filled by someone other than you. It's like the picture is that His Holy Spirit takes up residence in your body and He's in charge of it, not you. You get to cooperate with Him, 
He becomes sort of a, he becomes a co-tenant within you is the picture. And it's your job and my job as we go through life to figure out, okay, well then I think we should do this. And he'll say, oh, I think you should do this. And you go, okay, well, you're smarter than me. I guess I'll do this is what you learn to do. And over time, if you and I are walking in close fellowship and proximity, to, we will get really good at saying, I was wrong and you were right. Because every time we do this, what we're going to find is hope increases, fear is reduced, joy abounds. We begin to realize God is smart. He told us to do these things in Scripture, not because He wants to take away joy and opportunity and freedom, but because He's really smart. And He just, like, knows. He set this whole system up, including you and me. So it begins with just choosing Him as Lord. It continues with humbly asking Jesus to fill you with His Holy Spirit. Because on a daily basis, you and I need more of Him. There's not a day that goes by that you don't need to hear something from the Spirit of God remind you of the right path. That's the means by which you and I, you know, when our GPS gets a little off, He has our ear to recalculate and help us veer back onto the path that we need and that He knows we need. We need to receive guidance every day through reading His Word and listening for Him in prayer. This is one of the, the best things that I think has come out, if you would ask me, probably in the last 20 years. You can read a lot of books, you can go buy a whole lot of things, and all of them may be fine on some level, a lot of them. But what I'd say, this, is, this would be way at the top of my list of recommendations for you if you wanted to cultivate and develop a close and intimate relationship with God. This is a one-year Bible and this happens to be the New Living Translation. You pick the translation of your choice. I honestly don't care if, if, if you can read it and understand it. If you like the King James and you like, you know, medieval times, go at it. Go at it. It was written 1490, whatever. You, you, so just go back there. And if you want to do that, that's fine. You love the poetic nature of it. The, here's the thing. This is, what is wonderful about this in my estimation I don't have to think today about where I'm going to read in my Bible. And when I don't have to think about it, generally that's a good thing most of the time because it means that I'll do it. I just focus on doing it, not thinking about it. And so today I turn to May 12th. And it's taken the entirety of Scripture and divided it up over the course of a year. And so I read May 12th and tomorrow I was really good and I read May 13th and the next day I was, I'm doing great. I read May 14th and the next day... Something happens and I can't read. And the day after that, I wake up and I don't have the trauma of like, what do I read? What do I read today? Where do I go? Because I lost my play. You know, I don't feel obligated to go back and read yesterday and today. I just go to the fact, it's now May 15th. I read May 15th. And I don't make it a big deal because what is the goal? The goal is not for me to get through all of this book. The goal is to get this book through all of me. So I have to become a different person. And it will not happen. Hear me. It will not happen if you do not become a consumer of this book. We are consumers of Walmart and Kohl's and Nebraska Furniture Mart and a long list of other places. All fine places when you need certain items. But here's the thing. If you are not a consumer of the Word of God, you will not become close and intimate with God don't believe any pastor who tells you otherwise, they are wacky. Yeah. 
whether they're on TV, radio, if they have 10,000 people sitting in seats, does not matter. There will be lots of people, you know, trying to figure out, you know, this whole thing someday. Those who are less important now will someday be a whole lot more important then, and some who are really important now are not going to be very important then. It's all about this book and the Spirit of God. So this is, this is key. And then when you veer off the right path, let God's Spirit renew your strength and guide you back onto the straight and narrow way. This is just foundational. And if you'll do that, if you'll follow God with some others who are committing, committed to following God, um, this is not brain surgery, friends. It's not. It's just doing what is so readily apparent in Scripture and so contrary to our normal choices. But if you and I will do it, the blessings that will flow into our lives will quickly become their own reward. And it'll make it easier to stay the path. Because you'll think to yourself, I... I need God's guidance. I want God's guidance. I've tasted what that is like. And you'll stay the course. So will you seek him? Will you pursue him as aggressively as he's pursued you? I want to close this morning by asking you to stand with me. Let's go ahead and stand up together. And the way I want to close today is I want us to read today's passage aloud. This is kind of our, our wrap-up, and my hope is that maybe you'll take this passage, Psalm 23, and spend some time with it this week, next week. I know our ladies' Bible study, they spent like a bunch of months with this passage here a while back. Um, but this is a refresher for some of you and for others. Uh, hopefully you'll spend some time. And as we read this aloud, um, I don't want you to read these as King David's words. I want you to read these as a kind of hope-filled statement of the kind of life you want to experience with him. Maybe for you, this is, I'm reading this, and it's not true of me right now, but this is what I want to be true. And so it's a statement of faith that I'm going to engage in a relationship with God that will result in this being true of my life. So if that's you, do that. And... Uh, God will honor you. I promise you, he'll hear you. Let's read this together. We'll pray and then be dismissed. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we'll be dismissed. If you need somebody to pray for you, about any of this or whatever, just come on down afterwards. And thanks for coming. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you, 
want to be close to us, that you've reached out to us. We thank you for the, for the fact that David had this kind of an intimate relationship with you. And I thank you that you have invited us into this kind of intimate, a close relationship with you as well. Would you help us, God, to walk in your direction, to draw near to you, that we might become different, better people, that fear might be squashed, that it might be uh, uprooted from our lives, and that it might be replaced with hope and faith and love and joy in you will be our only source. God, you know the difficulty of doing that in the days and the age that we live. Help us, help us, every one of us. Chase us, just like that little dog in the picture. Chase us. And help us to finally just surrender and open our arms to you and be yours. Would you go with us now as we leave this place? May the things we've talked about echo in our minds and hearts. Would you, would you help us to live them out for Jesus' kingdom's sake and our sake and the benefit of the lost? This is our prayer. We lift it together in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed with me and said, Amen. 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 Bless you guys. Happy Mother's Day, moms.